Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Ono Sullivan and today on the show is Constance Keane, aka Fears, who has just released her debut album, Iha, on her own Tull Collective, a women-led independent record label focused on working with and for underrepresented voices in music. You can listen to Iha on fearsrecords.bangamp.com, where you can also buy the album on vinyl. It was recorded and produced in three bedrooms, hospital, and at the Domino Recordings Studio in Brixton, and even a cursory listen through the 10 tracks, including the interlude, will tell you it's a personal album, one that should envelop the listener and take them on a sometimes uncomfortable journey. As the press release says, an intimate depiction of discovery, Iha unearths internal dialogue and makes peace with uncertainty. This was the first interview I've done with a musician in about two months. It's felt like ages as well. Episode 199 was a chat with Owen, who runs Cypress Avenue. Episode 200 was with promoter Leagues O'Toole. And the last one was a special look back episode at Gulped and Plugged at the Triscoll. Thanks for all of the kind messages about those records, but a slight change in my work schedule. Yes, my real life job. And also, just the workload uh, entailed in putting some of these episodes together meant it's been a while since I interviewed an artist, so I was delighted to talk to Connie, but I did feel a bit rusty at the same time. I didn't even ask her about her amazing dressmaking skills, which you can see evidenced on the cover of Iha, but maybe we'll get to talk again sometime. The chat, which took place a couple of days before Iha was released, took place over Zoom, uh, which also Seemed a little bit rusty to me, cutting off one or two bits of audio. The art space in Belfast that Connie mentions a couple of minutes in, just FYI, is the 343 apologies for that getting lost in the mix. But what we did discuss, and what you will get to hear over the next 30 or 40 minutes, is the five-year journey of making Iha, whether it's a concept album, the track Tanta, and the interlude featuring a recorded conversation with Connie's grandmother, Connie's other act, Mail, M-H-A-O-L, who are a lot louder than Fears, and we also discuss starting a record label in a pandemic. If you stick around to the end of the episode, you'll hear Dents in full off the album, but let's take a listen to a little bit of the opening song, Hallways, off Fears' debut album, Ea. I shall earth one hand, there's no saw a DIY space in Dublin which was recently announced to be closing down yet another space lost in the time of COVID. Connie had some nice memories about the place. Yeah it was it was such a wonderful creative space that I think had a real sense of community with it which is quite rare in a city like Dublin where you know rents have been going up the the space for creativity has been like disappearing and disappearing and disappearing. Um, I think I, I first went to Jigsaw 
years ago when Mayo were playing a gig there with Sissy. Yeah, we, we played, I think it was a fundraiser and it was, it was like the perfect setting for that type of a gig. It just felt really, really like natural and really real and people were really into it, which I'm still confused by, but it, a wonderful surprise. Um, and then I went to um, a night called Glitter Hole there as well. My friend Patrick um, from Belfast does, does drag under the name Rosa Tralee. And um, he was doing a show, I think it was like just before I moved to London and we drove down from Belfast because I was living there at the time and um, had like the best night ever, just a really good time. And then kind of took a lot of selfies at Apple Green on the way back <laughs> to Belfast. <laughs> and then I got to play um, Jigsaw as Fears last December for the Dublin Digital Radio birthday party. They did like a like a live streamed gig from there. And it was it was quite weird to be there when no one else was there. I mean, the room was fairly empty other than crew, obviously. Um, but I still felt really lucky to to have the chance to perform as spheres there. Um yeah, I, I guess that was like my main feeling when when we got the news last week about it closing down. I just felt really lucky that I was able to perform my like two music projects in the space. I think that that's one of the sad things about the pandemic is that like once things open up or get back to normal that uh, like what about these venues that have closed you know we're coming back to uh, an ecosystem I'll use that word that like is missing a lot of spaces it's one thing that I would be a little bit worried about but um, if you were to play a gig in Dublin like when it does reopen like would you think man there's a lot fewer spaces that are actually available for like a, a new act like like me yeah I think so I mean with both of my I think what was so special about Jigsaw as well is that I felt that it actually suited both of my acts that I'm involved with even though they sound like polar opposites as far as I'm concerned that's like two sides of my personality um and it's it's definitely a concern of mine like I'm I'm currently trying to you know plan shows back in Dublin um, for for both acts and trying to think of places to play where you can get away with like really bringing your own creative vision to the space and and you feel um, a level of trust that that will be kind of celebrated and appreciated rather than you having to fit into the mold of a venue that already exists it definitely is a concern of mine I mean you know with my fears stuff when I do finally get to start playing live shows and stuff like there's there's elements of set design and everything that I want to be bringing in that that isn't going to suit a lot of the maybe more mainstream venues in Dublin my ideal type of show to play is like in the round and there's a very select number of, of venues in Dublin that kind of allow that type of a show as well and it's it's really sad when you see these DIY spaces shutting because I think that it's actually shutting off a whole kind of like open-minded approach to live performance as well. Mm. You you moved to London a couple of years ago. Did you kind of go looking for spaces like Jigsaw? Did you find them pretty easily? And do you think that they're kind of like an essential place for uh, a city for people to to find their kind? Yeah, I mean, I I moved to London. Um, 
because I got a job over here. Um, I had lived in Belfast for a few years beforehand and I was involved in running a feminist and queer led art space in Belfast and East Belfast. Um, and it has like five artist studios and then a, like a central kind of event space. So when I moved to London, I was definitely kind of looking for that type of atmosphere as well. But I think when you're in um, a city as capitalistic as London, it can be quite difficult to to find these places. Um, I saw Squid in DIY Space for London and a bank called PVA, who are amazing. And it was a fundraiser for DIY Space for London um, pre-pandemic. And I'm pretty sure that they have now closed down, which is just incredibly um, depressing, to be honest, not to be a total downer. But it is it is quite difficult to to be running these spaces when you have commercial rents like just through the roof. Yeah, well, one of the things that I was wondering about, like if and when gigs restart, you know, like venues are selling out as normal. Like, are people are still going to be wearing masks? You know, like I don't think venues. I don't know if venues will actually be able to sell drink. There's so many questions up in the air about like how are people actually going to make money? Like after all this, that's just one thing that I wanted to throw out there. But I do, I do worry about it, um, and I try not to get too bogged down in it or to be that like really negative person in the room. <laughs> Who's being like, no, but what about the actual logistics though? Um, but I do worry about that. I mean, you know, you know, currently being in in the UK, we're being told that everything is opening again on the 21st of June, which is I will be surprised. And <laughs> to be honest, it seems a little bit haphazard. I'm hopeful for like, you know, the, the months later on in the year, though anyway, but it's just been it's been really interesting um, to kind of sit halfway between the UK approach and the Irish approach over the past 12 months as well and and see what what both are saying, you know, being in touch with both Irish promoters and UK-based promoters and, and kind of gauging when people think that like full capacity shows are going to be happening again. You know, I mean, everybody in the UK that I've spoken to is, is planning on full capacity shows from like July which feels very soon, if I'm honest. I mean, listen, I would love if that was the case. I cannot wait to start to bring, you know, my live show around the place. I'm so, I, I'm currently like, as of today, just feeling very impatient about it all. I feel like, you know, full capacity by July, we'll just kind of have to wait and see, I guess. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed. F finally, before we start talking about fears, uh, how has London been since uh, it reopened? Have you like gotten a haircut? Have you been to the pub? Like, What are the other great things that you've been doing over the past week or two? I have been for after work drinks one time. Wow. Which I know is not, I mean, wow. Um, I, I'm quite a cautious person, to be honest. So I'm kind of taking my time with getting back out into the real world, I say in quotation marks. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's going to be like a very slow easing back into that kind of stuff for me, um, because the last thing I want is to be like lying in bed at night thinking, oh my God, I was in a pub three nights ago and now I have a slight cough. <laughs> so I'm, I'm taking my time with it. I mean, I, I sound like I hate London, but I actually do love it. It's just very much a love-hate relationship. But one of the perks of London is that during the summer, the weather is really amazing. Um, so I, I am really looking forward to like 
brighter and warmer days to even be able to like sit in the park and stuff yeah um well your album is just about to come out in brighter warmer weather hopefully we're talking two days before its release and people will be hearing this yeah. uh, a couple of days after its release how are you feeling you're making a nice uh smiling face at me slightly panicky face at me i'm like i'm like smiling and terrified um yeah I honestly my emotions about it are so mixed up at this point where I like I feel really giddy and I feel really excited and I feel quite impatient about it and I also I'm so scared like I'm honestly I'm so scared like I've been working on this for over five years you know pretty much on my own which is a long time to be sitting with something and and the thoughts of it being actually out into the world is like invigorating and petrifying at the same time I think I feel really lucky um that I have gotten it to this point uh I I always say that like I've no idea because I don't really know if marriage is ever like a goal for me in life (laughs) But, but putting out this album has been so much more of a goal for me than like getting married ever um so it it almost feels like like that kind of um big event i guess even though it's happening obviously during a pandemic so five years in the making is fears the project older than that or are they kind of like intertwined are you saying like it's been five years since like i started making music building up to a debut album we we did fears for maybe like two years together probably um and played you know, some Irish shows and had a really good time doing it. And then she just did re- like, didn't really want to do it anymore. So I took a break from the project and I started um, Mail, my feminist post-punk band. Um, but I just found myself being led back to this type of music and this type of writing and this type of production. Um, and it, it kind of just felt like the right time to pick it up again, I guess. So I started writing this this album um, over five years ago. And I knew at the start that I wanted it to be an album. I don't know why, but I was just like, you're writing an album. Um, and it has just uh, naturally taken me this long to kind of uh, pull it all together, I guess. It's a very um, purposeful project, I think. Like I, I'm quite, um, I sit on things for a long time, generally, before I put them out. And I like things to have layers of meaning behind them as well. I like it to be quite considered. So yeah, it has just taken me this long to put out 10 tracks. <laughs> um, I guess that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself at the start. Like this is going to be an album, particularly like now when you're constantly told that like the album, like that the album doesn't matter or something like that. I think it's still- I know, I don't know what was wrong with me. I just decided that like I wanted to do this whole this whole project like I knew before like I had written one song and I knew that my debut album had to be 10 songs. I knew that I wanted some kind of form of interlude Um, I, I I had an idea for kind of the concept and the structure of it before like so many things in my life had even happened that ended up molding me and I didn't really feel like I was in a rush with it either because I knew that that's what I wanted the finished product to be and I wanted it to be something that I felt was finished I guess um and my work is so linked to my everyday life 
that it has taken that long for me to kind of feel comfortable, almost like, you know, closing a chapter as well and, and opening a new one. Um, and it feels like a natural point to do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the start, like, who did I think I was? Been like, you're going to do an album, it's going to be 10 songs, there's going to be a, an interlude. Like, I don't know what I was thinking, but listen, it's taken me a few years, but I got there. Yeah. Did you have influences in mind that were driving, like, this is what I want, this is what I want, this is what I want? It, was, was it influences mainly that were driving that? Or was it just like uh, the ideas of this is what a good album entails? It was, yeah, it was more to do with like, this is what a good album entails. It was like, I like albums that are 10 songs long. I like, I like um, records that are considered. I like things to have consistency in them. Um, I like things that are thematic. I like being told a story, but not necessarily in a linear way. I like there to be a certain element of like, you know, the fun of like listening to an artist and you, you start to kind of pick apart their work and, and you, you like discover more about them the more the time that you put into it as well. And, and figuring out that like, oh, so this song was written in like 2017 and then this other one was written in 2019. And you can, you can hear that the artist had a different headspace going on between those, those time periods. So I knew that it was going to take a long time to create something like that. It is a very honest and intimate reflection of you know of an inner monologue that is happening pretty much constantly so it's kind of it's just like these little um snapshots of the past like five years of my life before we talk about those snapshots did you know when it was finished like did you know when you would put the final yeah. finishing touches to it yeah i knew um i wrote the last song for it which is called dense i wrote that um during the first lockdown last year and I wrote it when I had gone home to Ireland and I was sitting in my um, childhood box room in my mom's house. And it felt like a real kind of full circle moment, I guess, in a way, because the last time I had I had spent any length of time there was when I was recovering from a, a breakdown. And to be in that exact same space again in a completely different headspace was really interesting for me. And, and it's about forgiving myself and spending time with my family who cared for me so well during that time. And, um, you know, I, I carried a lot of guilt about that time and, you know, how much I had put my family through and to kind of spend so much time with them in that space, but actually being very stable and very okay, even though obviously the world was falling apart. It felt like such a, a healing kind of point for me. And when I finished writing Dense, I just was like, no, I think I'm like ready for the next thing now, as opposed to being like, no, I'm finished with that now. I just thought I'm actually ready to kind of take on the next stage. And and so I, I don't know, I, I like contrasting the start and the end. Do you think that you're like you're coming out as almost a completely different person from the start of it? I'm guessing so. I think so. I mean, I think that the thing about, I mean, a lot of my album is about, it's about trauma. Um, and I, I feel, um, I feel as much like myself as I felt when I was like 16, if that makes sense. I feel like I've actually tapped back into kind of like the, the core of me, um, 
with the with the same maybe a different approach obviously to being a moody teenager but um with the same kind of like I don't know when I was like 15 and 16 I was very I was very sure of myself which felt bizarre because that's meant to be a time when you doubt yourself obviously that all came later for me um but I, I feel the same level of kind of excitement and drive that I felt when I was 16. I was an incredibly enthusiastic person. I mean, very negative, but also very enthusiastic. And if I wanted to do something, I was going to do it. And I kind of wouldn't have anybody tell me why I shouldn't do it. Um, and I, I feel that kind of approach to life again, to be honest. I don't know if that sounds really cheesy, but I feel that same kind of approach right now where I'm just like, I really want to do this thing. So I'm going to find a way to make it happen. And I think that's born out of when you're a teenager, that's born out of a certain level of naivety, maybe. But now having like, you know, been through like complex PTSD and everything, I, I guess I, it's not naivety, but it's, it's a, it's kind of like a certain level of carelessness that's actually care for myself and, and care for what I really want to do and respect for what I want to do just speaking kind of overarchingly of it like you've obviously put so much of yourself in it and it's told over kind of a five-year period like is it obviously a concept album or is it like a kind of an album full of stories in the songs like are you actually thinking of it as a concept album you tell me (laughs) i think of it as a concept album (laughs) But but maybe that is okay. just the, the kind of journey that you're trying to take the listener on. I don't know. I don't know if it matters, like if it is a if it is a concept album or not, maybe it's just me trying to project. You know, I actually haven't decided that or not, because the songs are about different things and are, are written at different points and are kind of, um, I guess, just in a in a very self-important way. The concept is myself <laughs> and my life. <laughs> It's, it's very much a journal or a diary or I, I talk about it as if it's kind of like a scrapbook because it was recorded in different locations that were important in my life over the past few years um, using equipment that I've had and then lost over the past few years. It's very much like a collection of experiences and feelings of the past five years. So in terms of it being a concept album, I mean, you you could have kind of a, I guess it's a somewhat simplistic view and, and view it as like a pre-breakdown, breakdown and post-breakdown, which is totally fine. I'm fine with people thinking that. But there's, you know, there's there's other stuff in there as well. I mean, there's there's conversations about family in there and, and familial relationships. And But I think that there there is more that I'm kind of dealing with. Did you have the writing style at the very start that it was, it was going to be very personal? And did you find that it was a challenge to try and present that like to the public you know no um I I knew I knew how I made music because when I'm making music on my own I genuinely don't know how to do it any other way um I produce all of my music on GarageBand (laughs) um a version from 2012 which I refuse to update because I like how it looks and it's got these roundy edges and I think it's very cute. Um, and I, I really enjoy um, musically working within limitations and learning how to do things in a 
quite restricted structure. Um, I just get a kick out of that, to be honest. So I knew that I had naturally quite like a, I don't know, is it like a simplistic way of, of working? Um, I, I knew that in order for me to feel like it was the most accurate representation of what I was trying to express, it would have to be somewhat minimalist, but also have enough layer and nuance to, to accurately represent what I was talking about. Um, lyrically, I'm generally like quite upfront, I guess. But I think that's down to like, you know, the, the type of writing that I enjoy, which is really complicated ideas expressed in a really basic way. And I guess I kind of use that approach when it comes to my recording as well. I mean, you know, this record was recorded on like a Shure SM58 microphone, my MacBook microphone and my phone microphone, other than some little bits of, of vocals, which I recorded with my friend Katie in an actual studio, which was a whole other experience. It was amazing, but for very different reasons on two tracks. But it was, it was, it was, it's like, it's a very DIY record. And I knew that it was going to be that because that's the way that I work when it comes to this type of self-expression. I, I guess lyrically, like there, there's so much on the album that I could ask you about, but also I suppose, as you've kind of mentioned, it's all kind of like very um, on the nose sort of thing. It's, the, you know, like the meat. It is quite on the nose. The, the meaning of the lyrics is is what you're saying, I suppose. So so it's kind of like for the listener to to uh, actually listen for themselves. Like the first couple of times that I was listening to this, I like I kind of had it on while I was working. And then I was like, wait, what did she just say? You know, just because it felt like I hadn't, heard some of the ideas expressed in songs before like on the opening track when you're singing about um medication later on dense the last song that you finished when you're saying uh i learned to forgive myself um and yeah i, I just found that i i just thought this must have been a difficult uh album to actually make but also like it's a really impressive effort as well so like congratulations thank you so much i i really i really appreciate that um yeah at points at points it has been quite difficult but at the same time i feel like i'm i mean it's obviously wonderful when people listen to it and like it and you know express that it makes them feel anything i work very much at the time that i'm feeling things i'm not really a person who demos tracks and then goes back and re-records them and stuff it's it's all very kind of in the moment and it's the way that I naturally kind of soothe myself I guess is through making stuff um whether that's the songs or or the visual identity to the whole thing as well and it it feels quite um surreal for, for other people to be hearing it, I guess, after after all this time, like people outside of my mom listening in her car. <laughs> you mentioned earlier, like you wanted an album that has an interlude in it. Um, the interlude is uh, your grandmother talking to your sister and you're working uh, in the yeah. background on the laptop. Did you have to get clearance from the family to put that in or anything like that? I did. No, I did. I, yeah, so my, my Nana passed away in 2018 um, after quite a long um, period of, of kind of worsening dementia. We were incredibly lucky with it, though, because she retained her personality 
throughout like she was she was really wonderful and we had caught it quite early so we're quite on it with the medication and the type of dementia that she had it was it was quite slow progressing but but during my um during the week where my granddad passed away I was kind of minding my nana mainly because she because of her dementia kept forgetting that he had passed away so it's kind of like re-traumatizing her every time somebody would come into the house meaning really well obviously and saying I'm so sorry for your loss so me and my sister took her out to her little greenhouse we're just kind of trying to distract her and hang out for an afternoon and it was really sunny and the circumstances were obviously awful but I felt very close to my family in that moment I had a realization I don't even know why I had my laptop with me to be honest but I had a realization that I didn't have a proper recording of her talking and I think because I was like dealing with the loss of my granddad just a few days beforehand I kind of I felt this like sense of urgency to to try and and get a recording of her um I used to ring my nana like once a day just to check in and I felt really kind of upset at the thought of not having her voice I think that somebody's voice is like such a an intimate thing um, and actually brings back more memories sometimes than looking at a photo of somebody so I mean that's just that's just recorded on my laptop mic it's like not a particularly good um quality recording their neighbor is like drilling in the next garden for the whole thing and and I got really panicked because I thought I had lost the recording um it took me so long to find it again somewhere on my laptop I had like changed laptops in between it was the whole thing um but when I found it again it had been it had I found it in 2020 um so it had been two years since she had passed and it was the first time I had really heard her voice since then obviously I just started crying um and then I had to like you know send it send it to the family and and ask like do you think this is something that it would be okay to include and the resounding response was how much my nana would love people listening to her so <laughs> So um, we decided to go ahead with it, but it's it's a very special recording to me because with dementia, her, her long-term memory was still there and you could kind of uh, tap into her like kind of very pure personality when you would talk about her childhood with her. Um, so to have a memory recorded like that of, of her, like doing this song that she had, talking about everybody that lived in her house when she was growing up in Dublin it, it just felt it felt really special and it felt like her loss was such a huge part of the last five years for me and I felt like such a privilege to be able to have that recording and for people to be okay with me including it and the song that follows it Tanta is like a kind of a dedication to her as well I'm I'm yeah. guessing that that's one that's particularly like close to your heart like thinking of some of your favorite songs off the album yeah definitely I, I wrote that track when she was still alive um and I still remember performing it for the first time after she passed away it was in the black box in Belfast which is my favorite venue um and it was really hard to not cry to be honest um but I feel like that song sums up um, my relationship with my Nana throughout her dementia quite well. It took me a really long time to, to get it to a point where I was completely happy with it. And then it took me 
an even longer time to find a way to release it that I thought was going to kind of do justice to her. Um, and, you know, it was one of those tracks that people had come up to me after live shows and been like, when are you releasing that track? When are you releasing that track? And I never felt ready to because, you know, when you release something as well and when it's about somebody that's really special to you, you also end up kind of sharing that person um, and, and trying to think of the best way to represent them that they would be proud of can be a lot of pressure, I guess. But I, I think that I, I found a way. Great, yeah. Um, no, it's really special tribute and it really works, the, the interlude and the, and the song leading into it. Um, uh, I guess before we finish up, I must ask you about uh, the label that you founded and that you're releasing Iha on. I don't know if you want to talk about uh, yeah. how much work that's been, I'm guessing, uh, forming a record label in oh the past God. year. If you knew now what you oh knew then, God. would you do it again? Yes, I would absolutely do it again. I have um, so few regrets to do with it because sure, what else would I be doing? Um, I I started I started a label called Tool last summer with my friend Emily Kendrick, and it's a label that is owned and run by women, um, representing and supporting underrepresented voices in music. So it was kind of coming from a place of of working in music in London for a few years and feeling like surely there's a different way of doing things i guess and a real want to present an alternative um when i finished up writing the record last spring i was talking to like all of these amazing women that i've been working with at various labels and and trying to find out like is there a label operating at the level that i want this record to be released on which is that i want it to be physically in shops that is owned by women. It was really important to me that it was owned by women. A lot of the subject matter um, in the record is about like stuff that I just felt more comfortable relating to women about, I guess. Um, and I was, I was really kind of drawing a blank um, and everybody else seemed to be drawing a blank too. So I was, I was in the studio with my friend Katie O'Neill, um, who's the only person that I recorded anything with last summer in the Domino recording studio in, in Brixton, they opened up last year. And she was like, I really think you should put this out yourself. And I kept making excuses about why I shouldn't do that. A bunch of um, fabricated reasons, really. And she is very good at being just like, mm, cut the bullshit, I think you should just do it anyway. <laughs> so so I, I went for an ice cream with my friend Emily, um, who works at Excel Recordings as well. And it was like, a day or two before I had to move back to Ireland because I was out of work and I was like I know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna start a label because that's what you do in the middle of a pandemic and and I did it and you know we've we've worked so incredibly hard at this thing and I feel so privileged to have um the people around me that I do have the the level of support that I've gotten from friends both in Ireland and in the UK has just been like when I think about it too much I just kind of start crying <laughs> um, because I feel so I feel so lucky there has definitely been points where like logistical stuff has gone so wrong and it's the type of stuff that like artists who would be on a label run by somebody else would never have to deal with so there has definitely been points um, over the past 
nine months where I have thought, why am I doing this? Like, why am I worried about where my records are? I should be uh, just thinking about, you know, me as an artist, how I feel putting my work into the world rather than, you know, what warehouse are they sitting in? You know, there's, there's very kind of not boring parts behind labels, but, but definitely just very admin heavy things that go on. Um, but I feel so lucky to be able to do it at the same time. And, you know, we got um, a worldwide distribution deal from my childhood bedroom, which was an absolute scam, to be honest. Uh, but <laughs> by the time this goes up, um, I will be able to talk about this. But like, you know, I got to do like a like a rough trade transmission in, in New York, which is like what they do online as their version of in-stores. It's been picked for like the the um like rough trade edit, like their picks for for the week. Um Amoeba in Hollywood have like picked it as their staff picks for the week. Um, we've gotten to do a thing called a Dinked edition with a bunch of um, absolutely incredible indie UK retailers to do a limited edition where I had to sew 400 tool sleeves. I say had to, I'm the only one that put the pressure on myself to do that. I cannot blame anybody else, um, but it has been incredible. And I feel so lucky um, to, to be like forging relationships with these indie retailers and and people who are so vital to the like music economy I guess that I, that I appreciate so much that I think often get overlooked so yeah I'm I'm absolutely loving the label side of things separate to being the guinea pig artist on the label <laughs> great um and what about Mail your other band do you have uh, many plans for them at the moment yes um as if you weren't busy enough like Oh my God, stop. Don't even, I don't know why I do this, um, but I just can't stop. So we're doing it anyway. I absolutely love that band. It's like the polar opposite approach to fear stuff. It is so fun. I mean, we sing about things that we really care about and we, we do really care about the project. Um, but it, it is so um, impersonal in other ways where, you know, if somebody says they don't like it, I just, I, I literally don't care. And there's something so freeing about that. Yeah. We're, we're, we're recording an EP towards the end of this month, which should be out at the end of September. And we're putting it out onto my label as well. And there will be shows hopefully in November. Great. 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 COVID permitting. I'm so excited. <laughs> cool. I'm, I'm excited just about the idea of gigs again. Um, and hopefully get to see uh, you as fears or with mail or both. So yeah, congratulations on the album. Um, hope you have slash had a great release weekend. Thank you. Best luck with everything. And thanks for chatting. Thanks a million, Owen.
make a little 